Michelle. Hey, Callie. How's it going? Well, you know, pretty good. Nice. We're in the middle of this balmy winter. Oh, my God. It's pretty good. Yeah, I, I love this weather, and then I think about it for one second, and I'm like, fuck, we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and on that note, so we're going to talk about MK Ultra today, huh? Yes, I'm so excited because this was like our first ever like attempt at podcasting. We talked what? about this topic. Um, mm-hmm. So now that we're like pretty much the be- best podcasters in the world, I feel like we'll Basically. probably do a better job of it even. And last episode we... was so good. So That's true. It's a really good point. It, it is actually a pretty good episode and I think we can do it better this time. Yeah. I'm always surprised at still at how many people don't actually know MKUltra. So, like, it's good to do it again. You know, to yeah. me, it's, like, pretty... I didn't know anything about it until you told me all about it last time. Right. Well, and, like, just recently, somebody asked me what the next podcast was going to be about. And I said, MKUltra. And they said, what's that? And oh. I said, wow, I can't believe you don't know. But you can listen to our podcast. Yeah, that's so, wild. Even in, right? like, po- I feel like even... I mean... Even just from me, before we started this podcast and I was just kind of doing, like, YouTube conspiracy rabbit holes, like, even mm-hmm. in the YouTube conspiracy rabbit holes, there's so much stuff about MK Ultra, And it's all, like, really out there stuff, like, footage of Katy Perry from concerts being like, she's MK Ultra-ing out. She is a cyborg. Look at her cyborg body because she's right. MK Ultra, But... Then when I learned about it from you, I was like, oh, shit, it's it's actually a very real thing. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> a very real and terrible thing. Yes. So, right. So MKUltra is the code name given to the CIA-funded literal mind control operation that took place officially uh, between 1953 and 1973. So those are the those are the official dates of the official, absolutely 100% true documented mind control program as attempting to learn how to mind control people. That's what that means. That the Central Intelligence Agency funded. That is the name of the operation. MK Ultra. And so, and I actually think MK, I do believe actually does stand for, it's like a combination effort of English and German um, for mind control. So like in German, the word control is K-O-N-T-R-O-L-L-E. Cool. So, right. So, in the the word, the German word for mind is Geist, but um, I so I think they combine because it's a it's a American and essentially we'll get to, we'll touch on this a little bit today, but it's a essentially an American um, Nazi, you know. Oh, what do great. you call it? Do uh, yeah. A collab. You know I was thinking. A <laughs> I was thinking it was like. Mary-Kate Ultra and Ashley Ultra, the <laughs> Ultra Twins. 
<laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a YouTube video about that somewhere. <laughs> Why is her name Mary Kate? MK Olsen. MK Ultra. Open your eyes, sheeple. <laughs> I know that's out there. I know it for a fact. Well, now. yeah, now maybe I'll that, have. I if bet it's I've not, it. Yeah, if it's not, I'm going to have to make it because <laughs> the people need to know. <laughs> Everybody deserves to know. Yeah. Yeah, so the plan, so I think it is, uh, I think MK Ultra does actually, MK does actually stand for mind control. I do believe it's true. That so, makes sense to um, me. Right? And the Ultra would be, and we'll talk about this in a second, but there were two projects, um, Project um, Artichoke and Project Blue, I'll, I'll get to it in a second, I, I have it written down. But they were combined to make MK Ultra, so I kind of think that the programs being combined might be what makes it Ultra. All right, but the purpose of it, and this is the official purpose, is to create, um, just to learn how to create a blank slate out of the human mind, and then to program it to act as the programmer wishes you to act, with no memory of what was done. This is one of the goals of MKUltra. So they want to wipe your mind, tell you what to do, and then you not remember that you even did it. Cool. That's one of the goals. Cool, huh? So that's one of the goals. Another one is to discover what a way to make people extremely violent, which I think has a couple of points to it. They wanted something to make people very violent for the type like combat that was happening at at the time, um, that like the, the type of warfare that was going on, this is happening, um, you know, in the 50, 1950s, right? So, so just coming out of World War II, they have a lot of other wars planned, um, and they want a way to like make hand-to-hand -hand combat to make their soldiers extraordinarily violent. That's one thing I think they wanted that ability for. The other thing I think they wanted it for is if they can... If they, if there's some way that you can tap like that amygdala in people and get them to act very violently, you have a lot of reasons to like shoot them, right? Like, yeah. so like if you just like put it in the water source somewhere, if it was a drug or if it's a sound, you make that happen and then you can have this reason to basically just mow people down, right? So I think that was those were the two reasons they wanted to find something that would make people very violent. And the other thing they were looking for was tr a truth serum. Desperately wanted that truth serum. Like, that was such a holy grail for these folks. So you know, stupid. Be, That's, I like, know, the dumbest right? shit to look for because, like, the truth is fucking subjective as fuck anyways, Ooh. you idiots yeah that's They're right gonna be so ooh. mad at you ooh, yeah i said it Ooh, i got you guys Ooh. they're gonna be like ooh, i don't care if you do that podcast but that makes me mad yeah i hope it stings <laughs> truth is subjective you fools <laughs> that's so funny because i was gonna say it sounds it's like something from a scooby-doo episode and then the way you said that was so scooby-doo like ah truth is subjective <laughs> Uh, and then the one other, you know, aspect would be, like, general social control. Like, they're just very interested in, you know, how do we get, you know, people to do what we want them to do in a more general way without having to, like, 
we don't necessarily want to mind control you, but we want you to like believe, you know, certain things are good and other things are not good. And how do we do that? So that those are the four things that MK Ultra is setting out to do. But they're really they're prime. I mean, like their primary two things that they really really want is how to program a person like a robot and truth serum. That's, I mean, it just makes me think of all those old movies. Like, that's all anybody ever wants, you know? So, um, one... This is, like, the most lazily written villains. <laughs> These are, like, J.K. Rowling villains. <laughs> it is. No, it really is. Like, the zombie who has to tell the truth or whatever. They love that. So... There was a movie also that came out, I think, in the early 60s, and it was called The Manchurian Candidate. It's actually a pretty good film. I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I enjoyed it when I watched it. But if you ever hear, every once in a while, you'll hear people say, like, it's like The Manchurian Candidate. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about this um, movie it was um and starring Angela Lansbury. She's so good in this movie. She's so Oh yeah. Yeah, she's totally love her. Love her. And she's just like this is like her being like so evil. Like that's like this is Oh, she's the baddie? She's, she's a bad guy? She's a bad guy in the Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's awesome. And so but what they do in the Manchurian Candidate is they brainwash this soldier into being an assassin, which was definitely something yeah. MK Ultra wanted Get him, to do. Angela. Right, right. Well, yeah, she's like one of the trainers and like, you know, whatever. Oh my God, this sounds like very amazing. Sorry, I'm getting really derailed because I'm just like thinking about how beautiful Angela Lansbury is and how I would like mm -hmm. totally be into her like mind controlling me. Okay, <laughs> now that that's out. I can focus on the podcast again. Sorry. <laughs> You're like, I want to be the candidate for Angela Lansbury. Like for Aunt <laughs> Literally. Exactly. Uh, I've gotten MK Ultra. Well, no. Just because of... You know what? I'm, gonna, I'm going on a tangent. Sorry. Okay. Thinking about how beautiful Angela Lansbury is. Mm -hmm. I'm shutting up. <laughs> well, it's a good it's a good movie. And it's got, you know, lots of um, playing card imagery in it. Because that's how they... That's how they mind control him, so he'll, like, see this signal. Oh, that's sick. Isn't it? Yeah. And then yeah. he's, like, have to go kill the president, you know, or whatever. It's, I mean, I highly recommend the film, actually. Even though it's, like, an older film and sometimes they, like, drag. I don't, this one, I remember it being really good. So, anyway, that's the most. I will be watching. Yeah. Oh, I, I will be watching. <laughs> So, and what's interesting, you know, yeah, and what's interesting about the film The Manchurian Candidate is that I think it comes out in the early 60s because you had people who were like, you know, it was going around that rumor that the government was doing this, that the CIA was doing this, at least abroad, if not here, right? Mm. But it wasn't confirmed yet. So nobody knew that MKUltra was going on. Specifically, nobody knew it was top secret. But that movie came out kind of right in the middle of it and described it perfectly. So that's, right? that's an interesting part of the story, I think. I mean, I think maybe people knew it was going on abroad. But then you also, you know, what kind of goes through my mind is it's like, you know, like these people, Hollywood and the CIA have a long-standing connection. 
we know that from other shows yeah, that we've done. Yes. So I could totally see, like, you know, somebody having a few drinks and being like, look, Bob, now you know what we're doing down there, right? Mind controlling these fools, right? You know? <laughs> and, then, and then you get a script out of it. So, all right. So this is according to Wikipedia. A lot of what I'm going to tell you tonight is according to Wikipedia because it's just like, like I say all the time, I feel like, you know, like some of these, the more controversial, like, conspiracies that are just plainly written on Wikipedia, I'm like, look, this wouldn't be here <laughs> if it wasn't yeah. just right. So, like, for something like MKUltra, I actually do find Wikipedia pretty useful. Other things, not so much. But um, but for things like this and MKUltra in particular, I think Wikipedia is actually a good source. Okay, so according to Wikipedia... I've, it says uh, MKUltra was hosted by more than 80 institutions, including universities, hospitals, prisons, and the pharmaceutical corporations across the U.S. and Canada. And again, this is between 1953 and 1973. So you have all of these, these pillars, institutional pillars of society are hosting what are their torture. This is torture. What we're going to talk about today is torture. So, um, Stephen Kinzer is an author who's done quite a bit of work on MKUltra, and he says that MKUltra was actually started by the Nazis, very specifically at Dachau, which was a death camp, what they call concentration camps, but they're death camps, um, that was in Poland. Um, so, uh, that Stephen Kinzer says that, and it's funny because Stephen Kinzer is one of my favorite uh, researcher authors on this, on MKUltra, and I was looking something up about him, and I looked over, and I saw that he had a new book out, and it, but it was on critical race theory, and I was like, oh no, oh no, <gasps> and I, I clicked it, and the first sentence was, um, critical race theory, why the right wing likes it, and I'm like, oh no, or hates it, you know, and I'm like, oh no, no, Stephen Kinzer, no, but the book is actually about why uh, why Trump saw how Trump saw the power that was in critical race theory and what it could change mm -hmm. and why he mm -hmm. set the spin on it the way he did. That's actually what the book is about. And I was like, whew. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Because I was like, no, Stephen Kinzer, don't let me down too many. I know, you God. You really down. never know. Really Anybody don't. is capable of having horrible opinions. I so. know. <laughs> so... So now, Ugh. but I might read that book because I was like, thank you, Stephen Kinzer. This seems, <laughs> this is exactly yeah, how I we fuck with this. Yeah, right. Um, so, uh, but Nazi, but he also, Stephen Kinzer, you know, talks about the fact that Nazi doctors, politicians, scientists, etc., as we know, were brought to the U.S. really specifically. They were rescued from the Nuremberg trials, which will come up a little bit later and also in this talk, and they were rescued by the Americans and brought here to America. So he's, Stephen Kinzer brings up a, a, quite a bit of that. So his belief is that MK, this, these mind control program, programs actually started much sooner than 1953. All right, so there are two projects that are known to predate MKUltra that happened actually in the U.S. And so one of those is Project Bluebird, um, which is their thing, is what they call 
their focus is what they call special interrogations. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I got a chill through my whole body. No, thank you. I'll just take no the thanks. regular I don't, I'll, interrogation. <laughs> exactly. No, thanks. Nothing special for me. <laughs> you can keep the special sauce. I, it's, just, it's just Thousand Island. I already know what it is. Yes. <laughs> I'm vegan. Please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Project Artichoke which both began in 1951, and then they were collapsed into one project in 1953, which was MK Ultra. So, let's talk about the people involved in this project. So you have George White, who is an early designer of the program, and he was an OSS officer, and the OSS was the Office of Strategic Services, which was actually the predecessor to the CIA. The CIA itself was, right. right? So the CIA itself was founded in 1947 by Harry S. Truman. So that's where the CIA comes from. But White said of MKUltra, he said the aim is controlling the individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against such fundamental laws of nature as self-preservation. So this was, you know, so this guy is coming out of the OSS. He's been around for a while, and he winds up being part of MKUltra. This is the only time I'm going to bring him up, but I thought that was a, an important quote because he winds up being part of, you know, the MKUltra project, and he's saying it. We want to program people to do things, like, against their will, against their morality, you know, against, like, the fundamental laws of nature. Like, this is their obsession, you know, against, like, self-preservation, and then you're not supposed to remember any of it. That's, like, a weird thing to be obsessed with. Isn't it? These people are nuts. Yes. Like, what if you just got, like, a hobby? I know. I know. Like, get into classic cars. (laughs) Play tennis. Right? Just live your life. But they're like, I cannot. I, I have to control other people, like, completely. So, you know, which is just, like, honestly, it's just Jeffrey Dahmer shit with a paycheck. Sorry, but it is. Wow. Right? No, but literally. Literally. It's so weird because it's like, I know most people aren't like that, but it really only takes a few bad people to spoil an entire species. It's so true. You know, it's very real. Um, so then we also have um, Alan Dulles, who comes, you know, he's the CIA director He's a CIA director. There's many, anytime you talk about a CIA director, we a lot of times we say the direct, director of the CIA. We say that, but there's many directors, right? They're like managers. So CIA, he was a CIA director who issued the order to establish the program. So Alan Dulles is in there. He comes up a lot in conspiracy world, especially where Nazis are concerned. Cool. Yeah, right? So we will be talking about Alan Dulles. A good bit. Good company to keep, my bro. Right. In um in future episodes. I mean I hate America. Well, and I mean Alan Dulles, one of the main I mean, he was in Sweden before the end of, of World War Two. And we'll get, we'll talk about this in future episodes, but he was pretty much figuring out how to shelter Nazi money in Sweden. So, 
the, you know, these things run way too deep for anyone to be comfortable. Just if you felt comfortable, I'd like to tell you to stop. Just don't don't feel comfortable because that's how they get us. That's how they mesmerize us. Um, all right. So uh, Alan Dulles, who, you know, helped to shelter Nazi money minimally, um, along with many other things that he's done. He was the one who set up or ordered the program. All right. Now we've got Sidney Gottlieb, um, which comes up, he's going to come up a lot when you and I, I know, are going to do another casual conversation on the Wormwood series for our mm-hmm. Patreons, our patrons. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com slash secret antenna. Patreon.com slash secret antenna. Yeah, there. And we are going to um, talk, we're going to casually talk about that worm, that Wormwood from Netflix. And Sidney Gottlieb figures in very clearly there because Sidney Gottlieb is the person who gave Frank Olson the LSD that they say made him jump out the window. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. So Sidney Gottlieb is involved and he is a chemist and a spy master. This is the thing that sets uh, Gottlieb apart from some of the other folks. Like you have these committees where some of them are spy masters and some of them are chemists and some of them are psychiatrists and all of these things. And some of them are combo spy masters and chemists. And that's Sidney Gottlieb. So he's got that little something extra special, right? So uh, double threat. <laughs> um, so he had originally worked, his original place in the government was he worked for the Department of Agriculture originally. So I'm going to read a couple of things out straight out of Wikipedia. Sidney Gottlieb's page in Wikipedia is very nicely written. So I'm going to read a couple, you know, because that varies on Wikipedia, obviously. But every once in a while I run into something that's pretty well written. Prose. <laughs> yeah, prose. So this is from Wikipedia about Sidney Gottlieb. On July 13th, 1951, Gottlieb had his first day of work at the CIA. So he's coming out of the Department of Agriculture, and they're like, hey, why don't you join the CIA? I don't know if that happens a lot or not. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make sense to me as an outsider, but what do I know, right? So, um, mm. then, I mean, you're one day you're checking, like, boats for bugs on the corn or whatever, and, like, the next day you're mind-controlling people, whatever. I don't know. What do I know? Um, then, so mm-hmm. then Deputy <laughs> Director for Plans... That's like a section of the CIA's plans. <laughs> Again, it's so Scooby Doo. Okay. okay, like isn't that an office with like a Scooby Doo sign on it that says "Plans, plans. Office"? Yeah. <laughs> um, then Deputy Director for Plans Alan Dulles hired him on Ira Baldwin's recommendation. Baldwin had founded and run the Bio Warfare Program at Fort Detrick mm-hmm. years earlier. And had kept Gottlieb in his orbit throughout the years. This was the early days of the Cold War and paranoia about communist ideology overtaking the American way of life was rampant. CIA was ramping up its search for a way to control the human mind, falsely believing the Soviet Union and China had already mastered the process and would soon use it against them. This paranoia was a driving force of the early CIA and their forays into mind control operations, and they often dismissed the death and destruction caused by many of their experiments in the name of national security. 
So, uh, Sidney Gottlieb is being, he's part of the Department of Agriculture, but there's this guy in biowarfare who's like that guy right there. Keep an eye on him. We're going to want him. I think that's wild. And then I think that the death that was caused in these mind control operations being covered up, like, well, yeah, we killed that guy, and I'd love to tell you about it, but it would put the whole nation at risk. It's just terrible, you know. Very, yeah. very CIA. All right, so that's Sydney. Classic CIA. <laughs> Classic CIA nonsense. So that's Sydney Gottlieb, and he's behind the scenes on all of this stuff, right? And then you have Ewan Cameron, who we're going to talk about a good bit here. So Ewan Cameron is a psychiatrist, and he was absolutely just his focus in life really was mind control. And he really, his thing was he wanted to erase you. Like he wanted to get a hold of you. Jesus. Yes. He wanted to get a hold of you and just erase your mind completely and then replace your mind with what he said it should be replaced with. And I want to make a distinction here between the desire to program someone to kill and not remember that they did it, right? And the desire to erase someone and replace them with who you say they should be. Neither one is good, but I'd like to stress that there is a distinction and that you and Cameron was had a special interest when it came to controlling people, in my opinion. Ew. Right. And so his point with this was supposedly for health reasons. And he was a Scottish, he was born in Scotland. He was a Scottish man who became a psychiatrist who was working in Britain at the time in the 50s. I'm sorry, in the 40s. And what he was doing was most of his clients were like basically like I guess you would say, I guess you would say middle class women. I don't know much about how they how they talk about the class system in the UK, um, but but like like he was considered the best, right? So they were these like white women with like some type of means and resources who were paying really good money to go see you and Cameron because of postpartum depression or other kinds of depression or anxiety or, you know, quote unquote hysteria, right? These were women who were going to him voluntarily thinking they're going. And he's American or he's British? He's Scottish. And he's, oh, right, you said that. He's right, Scottish. He's Scottish, but he's working in Britain. That's where his career okay. as a psychiatrist began. And so this is what he's doing. And what so what he's trying to do, what he wants to do, what he's saying, is he's like, well, I'm just going to erase these people. <clears throat> and I'm going to replace these them. Erase these housewives? Yes. It's so like... What the fuck? I know. It's so... So they're like, I have postpartum depression. He's like... Nobody's love. Oh, that's not Scottish. That's British. Pretend I said it in a Scottish accent. Nobody can but do a Scottish accent. Only Scots. <laughs> well, now I want to try. <laughs> Pretend. Uh, I don't even remember what I said. Well, I think I sound to pretend like him. Okay. So anyways, he is pretending to treat these women for postpartum, but actually trying to literally mind erase them. Yes. 
Cool. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then this guy went to work for the government, for our government. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, this is, I mean, good times, right? So these. The, our government's probably like, we would love to erase these bitches' minds. Yes. Come on over, dude. I mean, literally. And, like, the old, like, version of, like, I'm bringing up a lot of movies here, but the old version of The Stepford Wives, do you know that movie? Oh, yeah. So there was, like, a remake in the 90s with Matthew with Broderick. With Nicole Kidman. Yes. And so, like... Yes, I've seen that one. Okay, so in the remake, at the end, Matthew Broderick is like, wait, what's happening? No! And he goes and he stops it. In the original 70s version, the last guy standing, the wife is like, we have to get out of here. Look what they're doing. And he's like, yeah, I know what they're doing. I'm... I love it. I think it's great. And so the last scene of the movie is she's a Stepford wife, too. That makes way more sense. <laughs> Doesn't it? I know. When I and s- it's also way scarier as a movie. <laughs> it is way scarier, but it's also way more believable. Like, when I saw the 90s version, yes. I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah. This is very, like, feminist of you to give, you know, like, Matthew Broderick this chance. But let's get real. <laughs> it's not even feminist because it's a lie. And it's, like, pandering to men to make them seem more docile when it's, like, we know the truth. We know the truth. Shout out to our to our man fans. Um, <laughs> we love you. Man fans. Man fans. But Cameron, you and Cameron is the subject of a documentary series titled The Sleep Room, which you can find on YouTube. And I I recommend it if you can like handle it. Um, It's really, really good. And many now many of his early patients, they're not they wind up still being able to talk. Like when we get to like what happens to the MKUltra victims, most of those people for the most part, are utterly shattered, and they can't even tell you what happened to them. Um, But his early victims can still speak of it. And so his, but they were, they, they talk about how afraid they were. And these are women who are, I just want to be clear, these are not marginalized people. Later on, they start using marginalized people, prisoners, people in um, mental institutions, you know, the homeless people, things like this. Mm -hmm. But at this time, you're talking about these British housewives, like, you know, 1940s, 50s housewives, and they are um, terrified of him. And they speak of this, you know, just like they just hearing his footsteps coming down the hall, they'd be terrified. And apparently he was very physically like tall, big, strong man. So he was physically formidable he was intellectually formidable, and apparently he would become very frustrated with uh, with with you if you were not like if you still showed signs of having your own personality. You know, Jesus, right? So like they, you know, so the, his victims talk about you know kind of wanting to like just being very afraid of him, just in general. Like even if he wasn't doing anything to them at that particular moment, he was just a terrifying man to be around and then like wanting to do good so he would be happy and like what made him happy was you like disappearing you know um 
What the fuck? I know. And so, and they talk too about like anytime, like you would kind of say like, you know, I don't know about this. The way he would talk to them is like, you know, I just felt like a dumb housewife or I was just a dumb woman. I was just this stupid person and I needed to just listen to this doctor. He was the best doctor in Britain. Who was I? You know what I mean? It's just like, it's the sexism in it is, is truly overwhelming. Um, and, but, but, you know, just, I don't know the sexism in it's truly overwhelming and also just the intellectual domination of it. Like I'm a doctor. Are you is just overwhelming also, you know, coming from this person. Fuck doctors. I'm so (laughs) glad I know to say, fuck you, doctor. Shout out to our doc fans. I don't know. If any doctor's listening to this, I probably fucking hate you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, so later he winds up heading up the first MK Ultra projects, which are happening in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, which I don't know how that jump got made. I'm not really sure. It might be in the sleep room, and I just don't remember it. But anyway, he gets brought on over in, at these things that are happening here. Oh. In the sleep room, because this is part of the sleep room series, is partially like his victims in Britain. And then it comes over here, too, and does talk about what he was doing with the CIA, which is actually what the sleep room is, because he he liked to keep people in vegetative states and would sometimes like force sleep. It's gross. He loved vegetable people. And so he like he would force sleep them, you know, sometimes for up to like 23 hours at a time. And he would put these lock they were like football helmets that would be padlocked onto your head and these uh recordings would play over and over and over and over and over uh while you were in this forced sleep state sometimes Sometimes you'd be given very high levels of LSD and you'd be in these helmets. So these are the type of things that that he was doing once he was paid by the CIA to do them. So all of those things. That's so nasty. It's so nasty. Nasty man. Yes. And so that's all in the sleep room. So recommended. It's that documentary is actually really good. So he winds up serving uh, in the U.S. and in Canada under the getting money from the CIA to do what he's doing. And he's working with Sidney Gottlieb, who is CIA and other member, you know, so you have you have doctors, you have people who are in the CIA and not in the CIA. And they're all working on this program together. But he winds up becoming the president of both the Canadian and American Psychiatric Associations. And I think he was yes and i actually think he was the first president of the american psychiatric association like i think that it it just began at that time and he became the president he and did people know that he was doing this stuff i mean i mean the cia did but as far but like as regular regular people, no, but I mean, what no. is he telling him he's that they're that he's doing with the housewives? Well, what I do mean, they think he's doing with them? They have, at the is point, he, oh, he's just trying to Stepford wife them literally. Yeah, 
But at the time that he becomes, I know, at the time he becomes the president of the American Psychiatric Situation, or Situation Association, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know it, Uh, he's not, that project's all over with. So all anybody is really going to know is that he did this work with postpartum depression um, and hysteria in Britain, and now, and he's teaching out of Stanford. Stanford did so many... MK Ultra, they oh, were yeah. they were a big player in the MK Ultra scene. Um, so, but he was also president of the American Psychopathological Association, uh, the Society of Biological Psychiatry, and eventually he was the president of the World Psychiatric Association. Not the world. Not yes, the world. <laughs> no. I know. I mean, it's just this this person, this doctor, was I mean, he set the tone for the entire field of psychiatry and controlled it really by being president of all of these associations. Like these associations really matter. They set the tone for anything that's happening in academics. They set the tone. Like, if you have associations for, yeah. like, your your religion, like, you might say, well, I don't care what that association says. Well, you better, because the associations are what are setting the standards for your conferences and for what happens in your church. If there is such a thing, they're setting the standards for things. So these associations are extremely important. It's also where people network especially back in the day, you know, when we, right? So this is where people get to, this is where people know each other and meet each other. And this is where also, if you're doing things that are, say you're a psychiatrist and you really are trying to help people and you're like, you know, I'm starting to think maybe hysteria isn't real. That's where you're going to get your, that's where you're going to get shunned. And, and come to realize that you need to get on board. You see what I'm saying? Trash. <laughs> you need to get on board and realize that, yeah, hysteria is a thing and women get it and they need straight jackets. And that's what time it is, right? And so if you think, that's, any, you know. That's what time it is. What, <laughs> straight jacket time. Right. So, and that's the type, that's the type of interacting and networking that comes through these associations. So they're very important. He was the head of them all, American, Canadian, and the world. Anyway. Um, American, Canada, and the world. That's the (laughs) stupid. So he winds up, one of his famous, and, and Cameron does so many things. And so one of his famous, some of his famous works are actually on the Nuremberg trials, which is where um, the uh, Nazi war criminals were tried for anyone right. who doesn't yeah. know. And that was between, that was in Nuremberg between 1945 and 1949. They went on for a long time. And this is where the war criminals were being tried. So he goes and he watches basically the Nuremberg trials and he puts out his studies, his findings, and this is kind you know, this brings him up to prominence in all these different ways. And so I'm going to read again from Wikipedia, also well-written on you and Cameron. So uh, it says, uh, Cameron began to abandon the Freudian unconscious in favor of a stro- social constructivist 
view of mental illness, which this is me now for a second. This is where, like, I agree with Cameron. I'll, I, too, have a social constructivist view of mental illness. But let me continue because we diverge very quickly. All right. So in his analysis, culture and society played a crucial role in the ability for one to function according to the demands necessary for human survival. Therefore, society should function to select out the weak and unwanted, those apt towards fearsome aggression that threatens society. And psychiatry would play a disciplinary role. What? Oh, do you have the chills? I do. Because that's like what I think of psychiatry. <laughs> but it's like literally mm, set up. Yeah, like you're thinking too much. Here's some shit to calm you down from overthinking. Yeah, and it's going to be punitive. Because as a psychiatrist, I'm going to play a disciplinary role. Like, I want, to sele- I want to get rid of the weak and unwanted. Like, if I think... If I think you have an aggression problem, I want to weed you out. Like, me wanting to, like, erase your mind and replace it with what I say, that's not aggressive. Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? That's just being a doctor. (laughs) So he's just, like, all all these, like, cis women or, you know, who knows how the, what these women were really, I, I mean, they don't get to live lives at all. But anyways, so these women that come to him, he's like, all oh, these women, they have feeble, tiny little bimbo brains. I'm going to delete them so that only the strong semen fueled cis male white brains remain. Right. And those who realize they must like serve that brain. They're okay. True. True, right? Um, All right, so here's another part from um, Wikipedia on you and Cameron. Although Cameron rejected the Freudian notion of the unconscious, he shared the Freudian idea in that personal psychology is linked to the nervous nature. He theorized that attitudes and beliefs should reinforce the overall attitudes of the desired society. Like Freud, Cameron maintained that the family was the nucleus of social behavior and anxieties later in life were spawned during childhood. Cameron wanted to build an inventive psychiatric institution to determine rapid ways for societal control while demanding a psychological economy that did not center itself around guilt and guilt complexes. His focus on children included the rights to protection against outmoded doctrinaire tactics and the necessity for the implantation of taboos and inhibitions from their parents. He wanted to do all of that. He wanted society to do This all of dude that. needs to stay away from the children. I know. Cameron wrote that mental illness was transmitted generationally. Thus, the reoccurrence of mental illness could be stopped by remodeling and expanding existing concepts of marriage suitability, as well as the quarantine of mentally ill individuals from general population. The only... Excuse me? Mm -hmm. Y'all gonna try to have parties without the crazy people? It's not (laughs) gonna be any fun. Nice try. The only... Not gonna be any fun. ...cure for mental illness, he theorized, 
was to eliminate its carriers from society oh. altogether. Yes, he saw mental illness as being literally contagious. The thing about this that's that, so stupid. I know. The thing about this that um also really gets to me is how much this what Cameron you and Cameron is saying goes after what Herbert Spencer said. And Herbert Spencer was the man who coined the the term um, survival of the fittest. We think it's Charles oh, Darwin, but idiot. but Darwin actually never said that. It was yeah. Herbert Spencer, who was a friend of the Darwin family. And so the Darwin family, like Daddy Darwin and his friends, were eugenicists. And they were very, very wealthy. And Herbert Spencer very much espoused the kind of ideas that you and Cameron has. And he saw the way to get mental illness out of the society was to quarantine and sterilize mentally ill people. And then essentially like get rid of them by making them poor. Like his whole thing was economics. And so was daddy Darwin. Oh, thing. Yeah. well that might be working. It might be working. And I'm these, I mean, a lot of these a lot, I mean, ideas of Herbert Spencer that are coming around in like the 18, like 70s, and then combined now with these things that are the, you know, you and Cameron coming around, you know, 60, 80 years later, and these are not the only people going on these theories. Like, we're really starting to see the culmination. I mean, Herbert Spencer would be super stoked right now, except he would say that our biggest failure was having so many people still alive in mental institutions and prisons. He, that's, you know, but, but he would see this as going the right way. I think, I don't know. Sorry, Mr. Spencer, perhaps I shouldn't say what you would think, but I think you would think say that. what you want to say, because so, you're probably fucking right. And I, fuck him. I probably am. So just to wrap up that thought there, um, survival of the fittest actually was, not seen in it was not ever in the body of darwin's work it was only ever mentioned in an introduction to one of the later editions of on the origin of species and he credited um spencer with having said it so the fact that we think natural selection is survival of the fittest is also just something that's really interesting because it's not even in darwin so why do we think that who's winning here huh Anyway, propaganda, right? Propaganda, straight up. <sighs> okay, so that's you and Cameron, and he is coming uh, to these conclusions right around the time that MK Ultra is coming into being. That's you know during the Nuremberg trials that are ending in 1949. He's putting out his papers. He's training his housewives. The Nuremberg trials for him is just like a fucking casting call. <laughs> Oh, you're so right. Oh, goodness. He's just like, oh, you did that? I love that. Come work for America with me. Absolutely. And with me and these other, like, Nazis that are not going to be tried at this trial. Because so many of them were in America. They weren't there. So They already got jobs, baby. They're yeah. like, oh, no, I can't make the trial. I'm working in America now. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. You'll have to just mark my name off. Just forget yes. you ever heard of me. 
So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in America now. So the U.S. and Britain are already doing these mind control experiments, and it's all being brought together by the CIA and Cameron and uh, um, Dulles and Gottlieb. These are really some of your main architects here that are bringing it together into this MKUltra thing. So now what do they need? You know what they need, Callie? They need... What do they need, Michelle? Somebody to cheer everybody up. Maybe somebody named, I don't know, Dr. Jolly. Oh, Jolly and West. Here he is. Here he is. Boop, 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 boop. The star. So, yes. The star of the show Star of here. the show. Really, at the end of the day, this is the guy that threads it all together and one of just the slipperiest little scallions just ever. Scallions? Scamps? <laughs> scallions? What I am like, I saying? I like scallions. No, I like that because scallions do get slimy when they're going bad. So like, it's actually literally perfect because he's a slimy little scallion. He is. <laughs> so do, uh, Dr. Lewis Jollyon West, uh, he goes by Jolly. People call him Dr. Jolly. And he is an American psychiatrist. And he becomes... You and Cameron's right-hand man, as they start, they start in Canada, in Montreal specifically. Uh, much of what they begin doing, they wouldn't have been able to get away with in the beginning in the United States. Of course, they pave the way to where they are able to get away with it in the United States. But they initially start in Canada. And so, Dr. Jolly's thing as a psychiatrist is he deals in people who have been, quote, uh, taken to the limits of human experience. So, that... Oh, God. I know. You're talking about people who have been through combat, you know, war zones. You're talking about people who have seen mass shootings. You're talking about people who have been through genocides. You're talking about... Um, People who have been through extraordinary crimes. You're just talking about people who go through the very worst things that the human that a human being can go through. So pretty much every single person who is still alive. Yeah, basically today. today. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So, but he's but he's dealing with people who like you know have gone through things that uh, that the average person is not going to go through in their lifetime. But then, but he falls on many sides of this. It's interesting because because of like him being so specialized in this way, every time you see him, you're like, why is Dr. Jolly in every one of these crazy things that ever happens? You know, his deniable <gasps> his deniable plausibility is like, that's my job. I'm like the only person who does this. this is my specialization, right? right? You know. Um, and, and it even has a certain kind of, like, meaning to it because you kind of, like, somebody who's specializing in that, like, you don't need too many of those people. And actually, you know, one person who can who can say, well, well when I interviewed this person, they were doing that too. You know, to have those details, it almost actually makes sense that there would only be one expert on this <clears throat> topic. Right. Yes. So, um, so, but anyway, Dr. Jolly, let me read you a little bit about him from Wikipedia. So, Wes was deeply involved. This is where shit gets crazy, okay? So, Wes was deeply involved in the Korean War era CIA brainwashing experiments. Okay, there were all these brainwashing experiences that, experiments that were already going on 
in during the Korean War. And the agencies notorious MKL's mind control program and the use and intentional abuse of LSD. So that's what that's what West was is known for. So here's the thing with the Korean War POWs. Here's what he was doing. This is crazy and terrible. Okay. So oh no. he was, Dr. Jolly, was appointed to a panel to discover why 36 out of 59 American airmen who were captured in the Korean War had confessed or cooperated in Korean allegations of war crimes committed by the United States. So you have 36 out of 59 U.S. airmen who were whistleblowers saying that uh, the U.S. had committed war crimes. So Dr. Jolly is brought in to see why they said this. I mean, why would they say that? Why would they say something like yeah, that? Yeah, can't have been true. Right. Of course it's not true. Right. So amid speculation that the airmen had been brainwashed or drugged, not, they mean by the Koreans here, West came to a simpler conclusion. And this is in quotes on Wikipedia. So it says, What we found enabled us to rule out drugs, hypnosis, or other mysterious trickery, he said. It was just one device used to confuse, bewilder, and torment our men until they were ready to confess to anything. That device was prolonged, chronic loss of sleep, and the airmen avoided being court-martialed for these events as a result of West's research. So what he did was he went over there and he said, oh, well, they're not whistleblowers. They just haven't slept. Like what they're you can't okay. trust anything they're saying because mm-hmm. they just haven't slept. So he went over there and derailed all of these American soldiers who were trying to tell the truth. This is what Dr. Jolly did. Um and then Good job. Good job, man. Jolly. So he then published a paper uh, with the title United States Air Force Prisoners of the Chinese Communist Methods of Forceful Indoctrination, Observations and Interviews. So anyway, that's what, so he made up this whole thing and then published some paper with like too many words in the title, you know, like they do, (laughs) like, like doctors do. Um, Yeah. So. But there were ongoing experiments, drug experiments in Korea of both Americans and Koreans done by the United States uh, that were horrific and they were torturous. And Jolly was part of this. You will not find that piece in Wikipedia. All right. So where you can find Dr. Jolly, if you want to have a good time. And you can find him with the people I'm about to list, the situations I'm about to list. You can find him there before or after, or sometimes both. These are some of my mm-hmm. some of my favorite things. So um, Patty Hearst, he was involved with Patty Love Hearst, it. right? He actually got her released because he said, you know, well, she was brainwashed. But I think maybe someday we should do a whole episode on Patty Hearst and the Seminese Liberation Army. Because I have a feeling... Yes, we should. We should. Because, I mean, I agree with him that she was, in fact, brainwashed. She was MK-altered. Um, and, but I think that, um, you know, he knew that because they had something to do with it. I think, you know, they wanted to see if they could uh, brainwash an heiress. 
and they did. So way to go, right? It. Um, Sirhan Sirhan, who has officially been mm-hmm. paroled. The last time we did this, he hadn't been, but he has officially been oh, paroled. Yeah, so Sirhan Sirhan shot Robert Kennedy, which I don't think there's never any conjecture that he actually he did that. He definitely did. Um, the issue has always been um, he has no memory of it, and they could never really. There was no way to figure out why he would do it. There's no build up to it. There was nothing in his apartment. Everybody who knew him was like, "What?" You know, like, it was just, like, it was really out of the blue. And the entire time he's been in prison for it, he said, I really don't remember it. And people have essentially, like, believed him. And even, and, like, I am, this is, I'm going to say this from memory of something I watched probably 10 years ago. I'm just going to, I'm going to, what do we call it? Conjecture show on this one? Yeah, conjecture show. Conjecture show. So I'm just going to conjecture on this for a minute, and I'm going to try to find this video that I watched at one point in time. Um, it's hard to track down things that were around 10 years ago at this point, but I, there was... Oh, yeah. Everything is so scrubbed. I know. So, but there was his initial, the initial psychiatrist that went to see Sirhan, Sirhan after he was taken in, Bradley was his last name, and he interviewed Sirhan, Sirhan. And he came out, you know, this wide-eyed, you know, young psychiatrist who was probably trying to do good, right? It's like, you're not going to believe this. It's the craziest thing. But but I think he was hypnotized. And they're like, what? And he's like, I think he must have hypnotized himself. I, I'm not saying anybody did this on purpose. But I think, you know, and then, of course, he's laughed out of his profession. You know, he's he's... He's threatened in a certain way just with, like, being a fool, right? Yeah. Um, so, which brings him back into alignment with the story, right? But the initial psychiatrist on the Sirhan Sirhan even th- said he was hypnotized. And he's like, I don't know. I'm not, you know, he must have hypnotized himself. Like, that's how convinced this young, wide-eyed psychiatrist had been before he, like, realized it's not about helping people, sir. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's about programming people to become assassins. So there's a possibility that Sirhan Sirhan was indeed the first Manchurian candidate. I think some, um, or at least a Manchurian candidate, I think some very good arguments could be made for that. And he is released on parole. And I think the reason being is that people have actually believed that he didn't ever set out to shoot Robert Kennedy of his own free will for many years. And that really is why the man is walking the street at this moment. Um, That's so crazy. Isn't it? You know, because like... Good for him. I mean, I'm so glad Sirhan Sirhan is out of prison, but certainly if you don't know the lead up to like how many years this has been going on where people are like, you know, there's something more important going on here than just punishing one man for an assassination that most likely he had no intention of committing. Like there's, we should really find out what happened here. If you don't know how long that's been going on and how many very serious minded people have been in agreement with this for 40 years, that could really seem wild to you that he's out of prison. But if you know that this has been going on all this time, it doesn't seem quite as wild. It seems like a relief. 
All right. So Dr. Jolly was around for that some of that stuff pre-crime. He knew Sarhan Sarhan. So that's where that gets weird. Um, so, uh, Jolly was also, you could find him in the background. That is so weird. I know. How would they have known each other? Well, I think he was Sirhan Sirhan's psychiatrist. I have to go, but that's right. wild conjecture show right there, because I don't have that paperwork, and I'll have to go back and look at that. But we'll be talking about MKUltra some more. How else would they know each other? Well, yeah, right? So I'll have to, like... Well, I'll find I'll find the paper trail on that for later on when we start talking. What do they play racquetball together? <laughs> you know how they do. Um, when we do like program to kill episode, um, I'll okay. find some stuff on that. So another place you can find Doctor Jolly is in the background at the clinic at the Amphetamine Research Project in the Hay Ashbury oh. District, where they were. Um, trying to figure out they were doing experiments on violence and meth among hippies primarily by supplying charles manson and the girls with free meth um and look what happened <laughs> right i mean thank you i don't that's all a, that's a very weird story but he's in the background at that clinic jolly is this is pre-Manson crimes, so we haven't been pushed to the limits of human experience yet, Dr. Jolly. Why yeah, are you and there? there? There's like a there's a way bigger story about Charles Manson, and I'm pretty sure our YouTube episode of it is still up if anybody mm. wants more info on that because it goes deep. It does go deep. We talk about Tom O'Neill's book, Chaos, in that episode, and you yes. should definitely go check that out on um, YouTube. On the, we should, yeah. Um, I think it's on mine. We'll, we should put it on ours. We should put it on, we'll put it on a secret antenna yeah. YouTube. Yeah, for sure. Okay. There. Look, you've all been here for a secret antenna meeting now. All right. Um, <laughs> so, our co conspirators. You are a co conspirator for real. So, another place you can find Dr. Jolly is behind the scenes at the Harvard experiment on Ted Kaczynski. Who was the mm. Unabomber? So again, you have Jolly pre-crime. Just in the background, though. We can't prove they ever even talked to each other. Same with Charles Manson and Dr. Jolly. We can't... There's no evidence that those people ever talked to each other. But um, they're just, like, in the same place at the same time. Right. For weird events. I mean, you know, it's kind, it is kind of weird. You have to admit that it's at least... An uncanny coincidence? Can we at least, like, <laughs> kind of agree yes, on that? Yes, acknowledged. Your feelings are valid. Right? Um, he is also, and I forget how now at this point in time, but he is connected somehow before or after in some way with Timothy McVeigh. Um, also with... After. It, after. Is it after? Okay. He was, like, when Timothy McVeigh was in prison, he was, like, his psychologist okay. or whatever. Okay. See, afterwards makes more sense to me. I'm but like, who knows? I mean, who knows? That's what that's what we know for sure that it was after. Right. You know, right? So, and also since Timothy McVeigh was so closely kind of connected, really, to Waco, which you can also put Doctor Jolly around um, David Koresh, 
And I forget exactly how that connection works at the moment. Also, oh, I would be interested. We'll, but we'll get yeah, there. We'll get there in another upcoming wild. episode, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and Timothy McVeigh, we all know how he liked to just kind of hang out around yeah. there, you know? But Timothy McVeigh has such a longer military experience he that does. I feel like true. there would be places where they could have run into each other without it actually being like documented or weird, you know? True. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I just, I guess there's part of me that just loves the idea that Dr. Jolly's like, Hey buddy, what's up? I heard you like Waco. Hey Timmy. <laughs> hey Timmy. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, okay. Also can be connected. I think I said Jack Ruby, didn't I? Jack Ruby who shot. No, you didn't. He can be connected to Jack Ruby, who shot Lee Harvey Oswald, and we mm. will um, we will talk about all of these connections again in the future because we're having several episodes on this mind control biz nasty. Hell so, yeah! I didn't even know that. I'm stoked. Right. So uh, anyway, these are all the fun places that you too can have fun with Doctor Jolly. So that is, um, he is Ewan Cameron's right-hand man, and I, I really perceive him very much as while Ewan Cameron is doing a lot of, hey, look at me, I'm fronting all these organizations, I'm out front of all these things, I am the, look at me, look at me, Dr. Jolly is, you know, weaving his way through these very bizarre happenings in the world. All right, so... Let's just discuss here briefly um, what they did during MKUltra. So I'm just going to try to go through kind of quickly because these things are pretty gruesome, like what they did as part of MKUltra, what they were, what they actually did to people because it's horrifying. So extraordinarily high doses of LSD would be administered often by injection for days on end sometimes. Oh my god. Right. That sounds because okay, so I just did acid on my birthday. Uh-huh. I literally only ever microdose too. Oh, okay. But it's like even when you're doing just a little bit of acid, it's like there's a whole part of you that like has to actually let go in order to not be like totally rocked by how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. And like, if you don't know what's happening, Mm -hmm. there's no way you're going to let go. It's going to drive you insane because you're just going to be so hyper-focused on like trying to hold on to reality. That's like slipping away from you that you just will like, in turn like implode i feel like i mean that's what i would like imagine these people going through i guess if you're getting these like crazy high doses of lsd and you don't even know that you're receiving them like that sounds terrifying absolutely terrifying and i think there you know initially you had some people who were volunteering um, to take the LSD, then later you didn't as much. Um, you had people, he, the participants at this point in time, you know, are the very marginalized people. They're coming out of prisons. They're coming out of mental hospitals. I think some of them are homeless. Um, these are just people that, 
you're not going to trust what they say is happening to them. Nobody may know where they are or care. You know, those are the types of people that they're doing these experiments on at this point in time. So they're really brutal because they don't, you know, if nobody's looking for you, they can do anything they want to you, you know? Um, And then it's like the government almost like lays the path for like who future rich people wind up exploiting, you know? Uh It's like, oh, you guys need advice on like who to exploit? Mm -hmm. Like... Here's our exploitation Rolodex. Like, right. We have already exploited all these people, so like we can give you the deets and like Ooh. I don't know. That's Especially with all the like fucking Epstein trial stuff mm-hmm. happening, I'm mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like they probably learned some stuff from the government about like how to do this and who to target. Yeah. Well, and that's a lot of what I mean, like Epstein and then these things that we're studying and I'm like, yeah, I bet you do want to increase the prison population and the homeless population. Don't you? Mm -hmm. I bet you do. Why wouldn't you? You know, it's where you get like all of your, it's where you get all of your like mind control victims and your sex traffic bodies, you know? So yeah, it's just, these people are gross and they really do have a lot of power So these extremely high doses of LSD can be administered. And that's interesting. What you said is really interesting because like that, what you're saying, I think comes in really strongly on the Frank Olson case, which is the Wormwood Mm. documentary on Netflix that we're going to talk about on Patreon and secret. uh, I mean, patreon.com slash secret antenna. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, those of you um, who are going to listen along, you might want to go watch that series on Netflix. It's called Wormwood. It's really good. It's Errol Morris. It's super good. All of anybody should. Um, so, uh, but I think what you're saying about trying to hold on to reality, I think that's what happens to Frank Olson because he has no idea. First of all, one thing. Exactly. Hit, that's what I was thinking when I was watching and, that show. And Frank Olson, that's pre even knowing LSD exists. Yes. You're literally. And they fucking slipped it to him in a drink. So yeah. I'm just like, you know, what? yeah. And like, and like, you know, this isn't even like today in these days, if somebody slipped you a hit of LSD, even if you didn't know you took it and you'd never taken it before, there might be part of your brain that says, did somebody slip me LSD? Because you know, it exists. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Right. The terror. I'm just like, yeah, nobody would ever recover from being that scared. And because if you don't know what's happening, Mm -hmm. that's probably the scariest fucking thing in the world. Because like, especially with like huge doses, it's like, of course, you're going to see shit. You're going to see shit. You're going to hear voices like everything is going to be different. And I can't even imagine like. I mean, I want to try the government LSD. I bet it fucking slaps. But, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get, like, a heroic dose slipped into my, like, mm-hmm. fucking gin and tonic. Nope. So, this no. is this is happening. They were actually very disappointed in what LSD... It didn't do what they were hoping it would do, which will take us into our Laurel Canyon episode because, like, they wound up, I think, using it in this different way to, like, lead the left... Um, astray in their goals and purposes. Um, 
and instead of what they had hoped LSD would do. They hoped LSD would either be truth serum, which it's not, or um, that it would make it would it would make the ultraviolence, which it didn't. So anyway, but they did eventually find a use for it, in my opinion. Um, so, um, or they would do this high doses of LSD, or they would do this forced sleep thing that I was talking about where somebody, you might be asleep for 23 days. I think I said hours before, but I meant days that they would keep you asleep for up to 23 days. And this like playing messages on repeat to you while you're asleep. Yes. And so, and that's so evil. It's so evil. And they might do that on the high dosages of LSD, which also I just want to like, you know, to remind that it's like the message that you have a football helmet locked on your head also. So like that in itself is just like terrifying. And these messages. That's so weird too, because it's like, even like in a spiritual way, yes. it's like you're weirdly trying to like block people's like, you know, the top of the top back of your head is I feel like where you get all your like psychic messages or whatever. Right. So it's like these helmets. I mean, that just makes me feel very uncomfortable and sad. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and just like having that thing strapped to your head to just not being able to get out of something. is just so upsetting, you know. So, I mean, I guess if you're asleep, well, having something that was like to your head. Well, they, some of them were asleep, but some of them were on these very high doses of LSD, and they would also get. Oh, they weren't on the high doses of LSD in their sleep. That's so evil. It's so evil. So, or sometimes they're not even asleep. They're just on these high doses of LSD, like the helmet. Like it could, all these right. things can be used interchangeably. And so what would, and, and also some, sometimes they were asleep, sometimes they were on LSD, sometimes the head was involved while they were getting electric shocks. Um, so, oh, right. What? And so the thing with the helmet, um, no matter what other thing, no matter if you were sleeping, you're on LSD or you were getting electroshocks or all of the above, um, what would be going on in the helmet, the, the, the repeated messages, it was called psychic driving or sometimes de-patterning, de-patterning. And it Whoa. would, sometimes it would say these really positive messages, like over and over, it would say like, you're a really good mother. You're really good at mothering. You know, like it would say things like that, where you could get for like, you know, 16, 20, 36 hours at a time, a single line repeated over and over, which could be something like, why are you running away from all your problems? Why are you running away from all your problems? Why are you running away from all your problems? No! Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fuck all of this. I mean, it's just, it's horrifying. And so then the... This is just like Nazi shit. This is just like weird human experiments. Yeah. Like, why? What is the reason? Yeah. What is the reason? What are you even going to do if you, like, enslave the human race by deleting their minds and subjugating them? Like, then what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, I their idea, at least on paper, I think is to, like, basically kind of create this perfect society. But I don't, like, even understand what that means to them. And then, like, I just think that this is just, like, 
it's just like it's these sick desires for this controlling another person like that seems to really go like we were talking about earlier it goes really far back in human history it seems like this desire like you were saying among a certain subset of people anyway i think that there are these people so um <sighs> So the electroshocks were given at eight times the regular rate, rather than so rather than two or three times a week, they were administered two or three times a day for sometimes 14 days in a row. And that was actually, I'm sorry, that is what's called depatterning. The helmets are called psychic driving. So this is called depatterning. And it was intended to short circuit the mind so they could insert their ideas um, of, of what they wanted through the psychic driving. So they would depattern your brain with electroshock therapy. That's what they called it. And then they would use psychic driving to try to implant their ideas into you. Do you think there's like interviews out there with people who like went through this experience there, and like know what they went through? There are some that sleep room has some of you and Cameron's early patients who are pretty lucid and they're pretty together. Another place where you can find this, and I'm going to put up a, uh, on our Twitter, Naomi Klein, who wrote the shock uh, doctrine, shock doctrine, Queen Naomi, we love her. Yes, there is actually a recording of her reading the first chapter of this shock doctrine. And the very first chapter is an interview Naomi Klein did with a woman named Gail Kastner, who is a survivor of some of the worst of MKUltra. She is, and, and the, you really should hear Naomi Klein talk about it, but Gail Kastner can tell you some of what happened to her. But for the most part, she is utterly shattered. What sticks out in my mind about Gail Kastner is that Naomi Klein talks about is, you know, Naomi Klein says, you know, I went to her house and the thing about her house is it's just these table, every, there's tables everywhere. Every part of the house is covered with these little scraps of paper where she writes these little notes down and then when you ask her a question, she just kind of walks around and looks at all the little scraps of paper because these are her, this is her mind. That's where her what mind is. Fuck? Like when she thinks of something, she writes it down on a little scrap of paper and she kind of moves the scraps around and reassembles them like in the way that you would thoughts in your mind. But she doesn't have that. She has Holy little scraps fuck? of paper. Yeah. Right. So, uh, so the interview is very interesting and Gail's able to give up a pretty fair amount of information, but in some ways, like the information that she's giving you just has to do with the state of mind that she's in now. And to be clear, Gail Kastner, among them with a few other people, I'll talk about one other person also, uh, the government, the United States government did pay out for some of this for people who could prove they were part of MKUltra. But since MKUltra shattered or killed almost everyone it came in contact with, very few people are able to prove that they were survivors of MKUltra. Gail Kastner is one of them. So that's, you know, further proof, wow. right, that it was governmentally sanctioned. So Gail Kastner is one of those people. So I'll put that up on our Twitter 
Um, all right. Another thing that they did, they were big into any kind of drugs. They like to just ply people with drugs and see what happens. So sometimes they would um, put one of the things they hoped would be a truth serum is they would hook you up so you had an IV in each arm. And then they would shoot this high dose of barbiturates into one arm. And then as soon as you fell asleep, they would jack your other arm full of amphetamines. And so like to wake you back up, you know, right? So like they would knock you out really hard with this high dose of barbiturates and then immediately like jack you awake with this crazy dose what? of like speed. It's Psychos. so fucked up. But what they were hoping... This is just dumb. This is just dumb. This is the other thing is sometimes I'm like, that's just stupid. Like, you can't even tell me that what you can't make me believe that why you say you did this is that reason. It doesn't make any sense. But they're like, because maybe this person, when they sit up on the amphetamines, will just blurt out the truth. Maybe this is truth serum. I'm like, you didn't think that. You just wanted to do this to people. Um, so other drugs. Exactly. Right. So, but that was something they would do, which just is like hell. That's just living through hell. So, but they would also got involved heavily in heroin, morphine, heavy doses of alcohol. Um, and you know, many, they like to have the subjects in vegetative states a lot. The plan, the medical plan, they, their way of looking at it was to attack the brain with everything all at once. Like that was their medical plan. Another drug that they mess around with a lot was called um, sculpamine, which I think is also called devil's breath, which... What? Yeah, it's this... I know two people who've been through a sculpamine attack, but what happens is you can... It's this powder that you can blow into a person's face, and it, like, completely, like, wipes you out in a way. And, like, you don't... You don't pass out or anything, but then the person, like, like I said, I know two people that this happened to. I remember this story now. Right. And so then they're like, all right, let's go to your ATM. And they're like, okay. And you go to the ATM. They're like, great. Put your number in and like, give me the money. Cool. Thanks. And then you don't remember what happened. So that's like, that's sculpamine, you know? So, um, that's so scary. I know, right. And so, and that's like, that can happen to you, just so people out there know, if you don't know this thing exists, this is like a modern day thing that actually happened to people. I know two people that it happened to. So, um, That's horrifying. It's horrifying. One person was in Mexico and another person was in Brazil. So I have not heard of it happening in America, but if it hasn't already, it's just maritime. That's all I'm saying. Um, so they, uh, they, use, they use all various types of these of these drugs and that was their these are doctors who are saying that their plan as doctors is to attack the brain with everything all at once i mean you sound like you're six years old like that's ridiculous that's not a medical term um okay so another thing that they would do is they were really in the messing with your just your perception in general probably while you're on these high doses of lsd So they would put people, like, in these, like, you know, people weren't just, like, free to walk around their room so much. They were, they were kept in all these different weird contraptions, you know, the helmet. And then they also had these tubes. They would put you, like, on a table. You'd be strapped down on this table, but, like, your arms and your legs would be in these long tubes. And the whole point, what they wanted to have happen was to see if, 
they could get you to like believe you didn't have a body. Ew. Right? So they wanted to like get Ew. you to not believe that you had a body or to just kind of in general disorient you so you couldn't tell what was up or down. They had a place called the Leaf Room and people like you just say Leaf Room to people that have been in there and like they absolutely go into a state of terror. And what the Leaf Room was is it would have like leaves all over it like you know, I guess fake, like, you know, autumn leaves or whatever covering the room. And then they would put you on this table that would tilt, you know, all the way around or all the way up or upside down or whatever. And they would keep moving your body around in the, in, on this table until eventually, like you just, you were just in the leaf room and you had no idea up, down, left, right. Like you just, you had no clue. You couldn't orient your body at all. And they and the Ooh. and the leaf room was only one type of room like this. They had other places where just disorienting you in this way was very important. And sometimes they'd want to like make you believe, like have you hold on to this thing above your head and like, you know, hold on with your fists and then convince you that below you was a black hole. And if you let go, you would fall into the black hole, into the void. And, like, people would just break down, like, you know, because you can only hold on for so long and really just believe that you were going to drop into a black hole. So these were, these were the kinds of things they were doing to people. So um, one victim told the story of being dosed with high levels of LSD, and then he was told that he was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And he says he could feel it, and he could feel himself getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and then eventually um he got to a point where he felt like he was coming through the birth canal <gasps> um so they did stuff like that ew yeah. why would they want to do that yeah it's pretty it's pretty wild so um they just want to fuck their moms <laughs> that's not a bad analysis um, Thank so, you. <laughs> yeah, you're really good at this. Um, so, uh, anyway, um, that's, uh, that's my list for today. There's more things that happened in MKUltra, other very torturous things. Like I said, these people were shattered. They would sometimes spend years in these MKUltra programs. And these were the kinds of things, you know, I mean, you, I mean, when we're talking about being in your arms and tubes and trying to get you to dissociate, like, from your body, like, we're talking about months, you know? Oh! No. Yes. Like, it's this, these are these extended torture programs. And, and you're not, you know, it's like, not even like, it's not even like you go to your room at night and it's bad enough you're locked up and then during the day you have to be subjected to these things. This is your whole world is being subjected to these things and you're restricted in every way. Your body is fully restricted. Your mind is restricted. Everything, everything about you is, is restricted and documented and controlled. And that's what they're into. Um, no. Right. So, uh, but there are other, certainly other tortures that were, people were put through and that's all findable. I think, um, National Geographic did a long, um, series on MKUltra that's pretty worth watching. 
Uh, the Wormwood stuff is worth watching. So there's some things out there that are worth watching, and I'll put them up on our Twitter. Um, you know, for the record, I think that, and much in the way that Kinzer talks about, Stephen Kinzer talks about MKUltra actually starting back in the death camps, particularly in Dachau. Um, it is my contention that MKUltra continues in a variety of ways today. I think Abu Ghraib is a continuation of MKUltra. I think there are many CIA black sites all over the world, and I think they continue essentially these MKUltra torture programs for a variety of reasons uh, that just have to do with basic control, basic control to like total control. I still think that they're running those experiments and also just pretty much using them, you know, for punishment. Like Cameron said, we're going to be a disciplinary. Um, so I do think that all of that is going on. So MKUltra had wow. at least over 150 sub-projects during, from 1953 to 1973, there were at least 150 sub-projects. We will talk about Midnight Climax when we talk about Wormwood, um, but each and every sub-project was its own, like, how do I want to put this? What's a good metaphor for this? Like, it's not just like, oh, you know, it was one day we went over and did this little field trip. These were full projects. So like midnight. Yeah. Like they're like task forces. Yes. Or like, there you go. Yeah. Yes. So that, and that was just from during that 20 year period that they were recognized. There was at least 150 sub projects. Plus it's just like, we know how much they destroy their own yeah. documents. Well, that's so it's like, what, how much more was it actually? And how much longer did it go on for actually? Yeah. I mean, Reagan says that he really shut down, you know, the very last project, which was Stargate. Um, but I don't think that that's true. Uh, but there was. Some... I love Stargate the movie. <laughs> right. Um, but there was some recognition during the Reagan administration that eh, these are probably that. I mean, not that because MKUltra ended in 73, but this is just some kind of like similar. This was a sub project we forgot to shut down or however he put it. But Stargate was supposedly the last project. I don't believe that, though. Well, I totally think that Ronald Reagan. I believe it. Yeah, right. I, I mean, what's not to him. believe? Um, and, you know, and I want to say this that's pretty interesting about all of this also is that the only reason we know about MKUltra at all was because some of the documents were found during um, when those people, the citizens, a small group of citizens, like any group of citizens, like you and I and anyone else in the world, just regular people broke into a federal building to, because they knew COINTELPRO was going on. And COINTELPRO, now that's, right. that's the FBI. That's not even the CIA. So they broke into a federal building and they stole all these documents. 
And then amongst these documents, they were like, what the actual fuck is this? Like, we kind of knew COINTELPRO was going on, which, just quickly, COINTELPRO is an FBI uh, project that intended to shut down primarily uh, and spy on and torment and bomb, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. leftist Yeah, we program. have two episodes about it. Yeah. They're not the best audio quality, but if you're not... Uh, very snobby. You will enjoy them. <laughs> They're very good episodes. So we do have two episodes yeah. on Spotify. You won't find those on YouTube, but they are on our Spotify, and you should listen to them. It's actually a really poor, important part of modern American history is COINTELPRO and the destruction of the Black Panthers and the American Indian Movement. So please do check those out. But the only reason that we know that COINTELPRO exists is because these citizens knew that shit was happening and they broke into a federal building to prove that and came across evidence of MK Ultra. So as Frank Church, Senator Frank Church, conducted the church committee on the documents about uh, COINTELPRO, and that went on from 1972 to 1976, four years long, Frank Church was pretty hell-bent on trying to get to the bottom of this, and MKUltra came up during that time. So the only reason we know about either one of these things, these incredibly horrendous, heinous crimes conducted by the U.S. government is because a group of concerned citizens broke the law. <laughs> I just love want to say that. Broke their law. There are laws. These torturers have laws against you knowing that they're torturers. And so, you know, you got to break those laws to find out the truth about them. And so they did. So, so it's, it's also kind of interesting that MKUltra came out at all, right? Especially since Richard Helm, who was another director of the CIA, had actually ordered the MKUltra records destroyed. So there were a few documents. I bet he did. I bet he did. So there were a few documents in this building, but the rest of the documents actually were destroyed. So probably some, I mean, most of them were destroyed. We actually have very little information. I mean, look at everything we just Mm -hmm. talked about and we're not even done. And we still have very little information about what actually happened in MKUltra. Um, so, and then it was not declassified. MKUltra documents were not actually declassified until 2001. They always just put things off so that people are dead, nobody remembers, nobody cares anymore, you know, right? So they always just put things off for that reason. That's the only reason. Um, So one other... I'm just like, what did they do that, like, worked that we don't know about? Yeah. I guess that's probably where all the MK Ultra pop song theories come from. Pop. Which I'm open, like... All the theories about, like, pop stars being, like, mind control, which, like, I totally can believe. Because sometimes it's like, how the fuck is this song stuck in my head, you know? know, But, (laughs) yeah, that's, you know, conjecture. Conjecture, which is, you know, uh, all we have, you know, once we get to the end of the actual evidence. And I think the conjecture is worthwhile. And especially since there's been so much conjecture in our culture coming from a place that isn't open-ended like they're not like i wonder if this happened or i wonder if that happened or why were you like you know wrecking the left and it's coming from this place of like 
I know what's happening here and it's all a conspiracy from, you know, blah, 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 right? And it's, you know, in this one mind, it's controlling the world. We have too much conjecture that goes that direction and not enough conjecture that goes the direction that we're going in. So, um, yes, conjecture away is my point there. So I wanted to talk, uh, just to end this up, to also say, um, again, I know I said this once, I'm going to say it again. There have been compensations made to victims because this did really happen. And it's hard to say how many or who specifically, because we don't have the records. And also there have been NDAs, you know, non-disclosure agreements have certainly been used by the U.S. government when they paid out mind control victims. They um, certainly had them say, you know, well, if I get this money, I won't tell anybody I'm a mind control victim. Um, right. Right. So there's that on top of the fact that many people can't come forward and a lot of them are dead, you know, um, or crazy, you know. And so even people and then people who had families that did look for them or didn't know what happened to them, they might not be sure. And there's no way for them to really get compensation. But there is a woman named Allison Steele whose daughter pushed for compensation uh, posthumously. And um, she did get compensation from the government. And she didn't have to sign an NDA because she was the daughter. So you do have her testimony. And we do have Gail mm-hmm. Kastner, um, who's interviewed by Naomi Klein. We do have those two um most of the people, like Gail Kastner, who is permanently schizophrenic, uh, most of the people who survived were, in fact, permanently schizophrenic. That is what they did manage to do. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to say here before I ended this up? I thought, oh, I know I, what I wanted to say is that initially <laughs> victims, Canadian victims... They found out that the CIA had done this. And so they're like, well, we're going to sue the CIA too. At which point then it came out because the CIA was like, "Uh, yeah, it's true. We were there. But like, you know, your government was in on it, right? You know, right? So the CIA totally throws Canada under the bus. You know, they're like... Sorry, well, not sorry. Canada deserves Canada it. Canada does deserve yeah. it. Like, I, you know, like, anytime somebody's like, oh, Canada's so great, I'm like, is it? Yeah, it's fucking not. It's fucking it's not. absolute trash. Um, they just get to go to the doctor for free, which is awesome. The new, our but we're going to have buttons that say Canada is trash. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, so check it out, because this, like, this, like, kills me. So... They, the Canadian government had paid at least 500000 into into these projects, um, well, you know, which isn't that much money, but at the time it was more than it is now, and fucking get out of here anyway. You shouldn't be paying any money into this, you pricks. So, but anyway, right. the Canadian government, you know, had paid like at least $500,000 in so the American CIA could torture its own citizens. Y'all should be pissed off up there. Um but then they did settle. The Canadian government settled with 127 victims, but, which is a lot. So Canada acknowledges 127 victims still living and saying, yeah, you did go through this. That's a lot of victims, right? Especially since it's probably a very small fraction of the victims. But check this out. They had 127 people had to divide $100,000. Like, that's it. That's all they got. It's almost nothing. 
Like, I'm actually meant to do that math before we got on here. But, you know, like, it's not even 10,000 a person. Fuck Canada. Fuck Canada. Garbage, trash country. Right? Seriously. <laughs> Canada is trash. I mean, I remember in the Wormwood documentary, too, when his kid is talking about their payout and it really wasn't that much it was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars yeah and they admitted to like killing his dad yeah yeah no right oh that's gonna be a great talk that's gonna be a really fun talk so that's it for tonight and some of the places where um i didn't have the direct connections tonight i just wanted to give you a list of some of the places you know i just wanted to give you some lists of things and we will put the we will put the strings and pieces together on all those bits in the future. I know we are gonna do a future episode on Dave McGowan's program to kill. We're gonna do a Patreon only discussion on the Wormwood series and then I feel like we have one other MK Ultra esque um, show to do too. So are we going to redo Laurel Canyon too? I, well, I think that comes into it. And I think we should, yeah. yeah, I think we should roll Laurel Canyon into some other MKLs or like kind of make it a combo thing. So, yeah. So we will be coming for your rock stars once again, because it was so popular the first time. He, he, he. <laughs> so, well, thank you, cool. Kelly. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Um, Okay, I'll just say, oh, there's one thing I actually wanted to talk about, uh, which is we just listed a lot of movies today, and I want to list one more, and I don't know if you've seen it, (laughs) and it really doesn't have anything to do with it, but I don't care, Uh, is Secret, The Secret of Nim. Have you watched that? That sounds so It's like based on Miss Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. It's like a children's movie, and I watch it all the time when I was a kid, and it's so scary. And I watched it again this year, and I was like, holy fuck, this is the craziest movie ever. And it's called The Rats of Nim because it's the rats of the National Institute of Mental Health. Mm. And it's all these fucking magical rats, dude. Whoa, I gotta chill. And it's like, oh my god, it's the best fucking movie, Michelle. Like, end of this movie, I was just sobbing. Like, it's the best movie ever. I have a lot of nostalgia for it, too. But it's a good movie. I mean, when we're talking about movies that are about, you know, national mental health being trash, I gotta throw out The Rats of Nim. That's, yeah. Okay, well, I will watch Rats of Nim. It's so good. Yeah, I hope everybody checks it out. Um, And then check us out on Patreon. We just launched our Patreon, so we're doing some special bonus episodes. It's patreon.com slash secret antenna. We have a YouTube channel now. The link is in our Instagram, and we're on Instagram and Twitter at secret antenna. So you know what to do. You can join Patreon for just one dollar. One of our main reasons just for a dollar. doing it is so that we can start to create a, a community where we can talk about these things really freely and have a place to go and just be with each other. So that's one of our main yes. purposes over there. And what else? I was going to say something else. Yeah, and I put up a lot of this oh, stuff I on know Twitter. It's- Oh, yeah, definitely follow the Twitter. And then since this episode will be coming out, we're going to do a live stream on December 30th at 7 p.m. on our YouTube channel. 
about Hollywood Babylon, which I'm excited about. Me too. It's our Hollywood Babylon New Year's Eve. So I have a lot of opinions. Great. On, yeah, we're so gonna I'm have excited. a great time. Okay. So come chat with us because it'll be live. So we'll be you'll be able yeah. to like. Uh, we'll be able to hang out. So come check us out. And yeah, thanks, y'all. Yay! Thanks. Talk to you next time. Bye.